the issue that came in was what if you know you have 10 systems and you have to replace one system right so when you have to replace one system now it means you have to write all the integrations again so in order to overcome that challenge you know the limitation of the point to point they came up with the methodology called the enterprise service bus right and that is really the first step growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing this approach needs alignment among people processes and technologies so if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Alavage IQ. When most people think of integration, they just feel that as long as you have APIs, you should be good. Well, the integration projects could be harder than building software from the ground up. When you build or implement software, you speak one language. On the other hand, when you integrate two software you speak two, if not more. One option to integrate two software would be to have them talk without a translator. While this might be okay in some scenarios, the problems become bigger as the system complexity and order volume increase. You will also have constraints such as different maintenance schedule for different software or 24 cross seven transaction processing. So how to decide which integration pattern is the right fit in which scenario. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss the pros and cons of IPaaS versus point-to-point integration. We covered many grounds including different integration patterns and strategies and the need for centralizing of integration code and the differences in various IPaaS solutions out there in the market. Finally, we discussed when the businesses are ready for an IPaaS solution, the challenges with newer licensing models, and the importance of integration flow design for integration projects. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation, and we always have an expert panel that is willing to share their insights and, and wisdom. For today, we have a very interesting and a technical topic. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. It's going to be IPaaS versus your point-to-point integration. We are going to be digging into where each of them fit, what are going to be pros and cons, so again, we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. Uh, I will start with my intro. Uh, if you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta. I'm principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and uh, digital uh, transformation consulting. We help our clients with ERP selection, ERP implementation, etc. And integration is always going to be at the center of it. On that note, I am going to move to Chris for his intro. Hi, Chris Ghiardini, president and owner of Turnkey Technologies. So I've been implementing Microsoft Dynamics uh, ERP and CRM solutions for the past 30 plus years. I am a technical owner, comp size, so I have to say that out of the last 20 years, 90% of the technical work, integration development. So every project has integration. So great topic for today, Sam. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Uh, Mark, can I move to you next for your intro? Yes, uh, good afternoon, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Mark Lilly, president and CEO of Lillyworks. Um, most of my career uh, initially was working with uh, ERP implementations. So, you know, lots of integrations into an ERP, so into our product. Um, the last six or seven years, I've, I've spent implementing and selling a tool that ties into ERPs to essentially replace the traditional model of scheduling an MRP. Um, so kind of looking at it from both angles, I'm really excited for uh, today's conversation. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Mark. Uh, Tom, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? 
Gladly, Sam. Uh, hi, hi, everybody. My name is Tom Rodden. I uh, have worn a lot of hats. Um, I've been the uh, head of supply chain uh, once upon a time in my life uh, in, uh, in GE, in one of the business units there. Uh, I have uh, served as a consultant for big ERP projects and been uh, CIO most recently at Varian Medical Systems, so much, uh, much focused on IT and topics like this of a technical um, and currently am an ERP consultant. Um, so uh, very glad to be here and uh, very opinionated on this topic. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Tom. Uh, Abu, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Abu Asif. I'm the founder and president here at Fannie uh, Tech and Management Corporation. So we are a CHXC partner. We've been doing that for the last 15 years. A significant part of our practice is also systems integration. Uh, you know, it's one of the first things I've started my career in, so really excited to be here and talk about it. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, uh, Abu. And before we start with the first question, if you are in the audience uh, and listening to this show, make sure you guys post your questions and comments because we typically cover during the show. And if we are not able to cover them, then our panelists are going to make sure that you receive your answer. On that note, I am going to start with my first question. And Chris, this is the personal challenge, okay? I sort of know how technology works, but I am extremely poor at selling that idea. So this is my personal challenge when I try to explain to executives, okay, what is the difference between point to point versus I ask? Sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. And it's very, very, very hard to sell why you need another platform, especially for the ERP buyers. If they are looking at you know any of the ERP system, they are going to feel I'm already paying so much for ERP. Now, what is this technology and why do we need this? So let's say if you were to describe the difference between point-to-point -point integration versus IPaaS, what would you say to that? Sure. So great topic. And, and so to the point-to-point and IPaaS, so IPaaS is a integration platform as a service, just to kind of demystify that. And that typically would imply that the integration tool or the, the engine is in the cloud versus if you think about point to point where maybe two customers are connecting and sending data between each other. Maybe it's directly between a couple of FT poops. And so point to point, two customers, you're opening up firewalls, you're creating a, a trust relationship. Very important here, trust relationship. How does he send me data? How do I send him data? And nobody's ripping us off in between. So point to point, trust relationships, technology infrastructure to conduct those a lot of times there's, you know, as you just think about integration technologies, there may be an integration tool on both ends or some APIs, depending on how we're integrating with the other systems. There could even be the concept of an intermediate staging area. I put data, you pick it up. So there's a way to facilitate a trust relationship. I don't trust you, don't trust me. We're going to put a table in the middle. I put it on the table, you take it off, you put it back. That's a very interesting strategy as well. So now as we move up to the cloud, the infrastructure, the integration platform as a service, think about a pump. And I love to use this, an integration engine. Okay, so there's an engine in a cloud. Why do we put it up there? Okay, we've, we've got more bandwidth at our disposal so we can scale it. So there's a lot of advantages of that. It's virtual, right? We're still paying as a service, which means I need more, dial it up. So there's some advantages there versus I bought a tool, now I need to upgrade the tool. I gotta worry about my internet pipe if I've got data coming in and out at the same time. So we move up to the cloud, big pump, big engine, right? I can get a bigger engine. And then if you think about the plumbing concept, we're creating conduits, right? How do we move information? And these connections go from the central engine and these engines have the ability to talk to different sources and destinations. The source is data coming in a destination is data going out. So again, lots of lots of sources, lots of destinations. And that's a great way to put it. You pay what you need and the scalability. And I wrote a few comments in horsepower, absolutely. Big pumps, little pumps, you can scale it. And the concept of threads, meaning concurrency. People think about serial. Most people behave in their life serial. They do one thing at a time. Then there's others of us that we got to have a million things going on at once. And so as you look at concurrency, again, it increases bandwidth because, again, we've got data streams moving in and out. So, again, um, what else happens in these tools? Data composition, transformation, which means you're mapping values. Um, filters, just like a pump, you're filtering. Um, error management. Think about all those services I just mentioned. You're like, oh, yeah. If I do point to point, do I got to build every, every situation, every assumption? Again, we're going to get some benefits of the tool. Um, the last comment I would make about that centralized repository is we get the ability to, to reuse. And I would use an EDI 
platform is a great example of that where I have one pipe from my organization into the cloud and then it streams out to who cares, one or more providers, multiplexes. Same thing, I have one line coming in. So there's some other advantages of that. We replaced a system for a legacy technology. He had 86 point-to-point -point connections. Okay, a lot of maintenance. Everyone is a separate process. We consolidated him. He's got a single stream out. Hits his 86 customers, comes back in. So the efficiency to manage that, and again, the sustainability. So a lot of advantages, just as you understand the two. I'll stop there. Okay, amazing insights there. And obviously, there are a lot of different layers. And uh, I am going to be narrating a lot of different things as well. And you guys can disagree with me if you don't agree with me on this, okay? So typically, when we look at the traditional IT, in my experience, there used to be three different ways of integrating. And the way you are describing the integration, in my experience, there are two or three things that are being mixed up. Number one is going to be the integration pattern itself, okay? So FTP, when you talk about FTP is one way of integrating. Now, you can achieve FTP whether you are doing point-to-point -point or IPAP, right? Both of them can be applicable for uh, this integration. Now, when you talk about one-way sync, two-way sync, API-based versus EDI, so all of these are integration patterns. Now, the other aspect of this is going to be whether you are integrating from UI to UI, okay? So these days, if you talk to any of the SaaS applications, they are always going to be talking about, you know what, I have web hooks integration, and that is basically UI to UI integration. And then you have the middleware, which is going to be the service layer integration. And the third things that, that you were mentioning is sort of the data integration, which is going to be really at the ETL level. And sometimes people get confused whether we are talking about ETL integration, service layer integration, UI integration. So now all of that said, do you agree with what I am saying here? Do you disagree? What, what are your thoughts, Chris? But my final comment is that we never are doing UI integration in the ERP world. So that's one yeah. of those things that's not, and it's, and I've seen some of those where they're using almost a macro to, it's a simulated data entry type of approach. And again, it's, it's a little more primitive. It's more prone to errors and interruption and so forth. You think about failover and rollback. So, and the second one, the service level, where you're talking about using APIs basically, is that what you meant in the, the service level? And so, so the service layer is going to be where you have the business rules. And correct. The, in, Meaning, in the case of ERP, the business so, rules are yeah. super important. And so when we talk about integrating data into the systems, the point Sam's making is data validation. If you don't go through an API or the business logic, it could let bad data in. It's the same type of thing. The macro screen entry approach should validate it based on data entry rules. API should validate it based on business logic. And even when you're doing an integration tool, to your point, an ETL, you still want to go through business logic. A lot of people that go direct to tables, um, that's a no-no, okay, unless you're just super, super profound. Because when the manufacturer changes something, your direct integrations are going to be very risky. So. so just to be clear, when you are doing ETL, ETL is designed for database to database replication. Correct. And typically that is used in the scenarios where you are transferring data from one place to another place in the analytical scenario. So you bypass the whole business logic layer, but you uh, are depends doing... on your depends on the platform you're hitting, Sam. So in a custom system, you may you bet you're right. You may be driving it directly into tables into a data warehouse that's doing a lot of aggregation in that point. But in our world, we're going through even an FNO, we have to create an entity that matches the data elements you're trying to penetrate and it's completely validated when it goes in. So there's nothing that we're able to inject into our back office in 365 that doesn't go through business rule. A little bit of protection there. Thank you. Amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Chris. So, Mark, I am actually going to move to you. So, do you agree with whatever we have said so far? Do you disagree? What's your opinion overall with respect to point-to-point -point versus IPAS? Sure. No, um, I I agree with everything that's been said. Um, uh, my experience is a little bit different in terms of um, uh, again what we've what we've done. I uh, Chris mentioned point to point being between different customers and that sort of thing. I think I think he had a specific application in mind with a, a like one of his clients going out to many customers, and that that's an awesome story. The eighty six coming down to one. I think the same could be said for the number of applications tied into an instance of an ERP system, right? So you see you see a lot of point to point integrations with uh in, in that sort of sense and i think if you have if you have a good ipass system then that can be one entity taking all you know managing all those integrations with with one tool right and that's that's really the benefit of the ipass it's one tool to be able to manage those all those integrations depending upon the flexibility of the tool of course you're, you're looking at expense right uh, those those tools tend to be more expensive or 
you got you to gotta weigh it out, right? How much is it going to cost to establish that point-to-point -point integration or many point-to-point -point in, in, integrations, right? And because uh, they're typically, even if you're using APIs, they're typically custom in some fashion, whereas the iPaaS can, can help you. The, typically, they have tools to help you uh, with the mapping. They kind of kind of can feel the mapping on either side of the, of the databases and be able to to uh, to do a one to one. But then there's also the transformation part. And, and um, I think we're throwing a few a few TLAs around th three letter acronyms. Right. E ETL is one. And I think what you're what ETL is, what you mean is is extract, transform and load. Right. So um, so so that transform is key. Right. Um, is how and and we we do a lot of that in, in our implementations of what we're doing. We'll we'll pull information from the from the ERP system and look, you know, the the um, the, the one time we encounter a client with perfect data you know, that that'll be the first. Right. So they they all they, they all want to want to have their their data tweaked or, or we want to be able to tweak it for them in certain ways. So it ends when it ends up in our tool. Um, you know, their their bombs and the routings, for example, reflect how production is truly going to happen. Right. So so that transformation is key. Um, being able to um, not just do the mapping, but actually either add to the data uh, or uh, apply rules to it and do calculations and supplement the data. OK, so there's a lot of different examples of, of that that make the transform part of it uh, really important. OK, very, very interesting. So again, there are uh, many different layers there in that discussion, and I am going to bring another perspective there based on one of the comments that you made about this being one tool. And technically, that is right. OK, so I pass can do a lot of things. And this is what I feel that, you, you know what, if I have my iPass, then all of my integration code is probably going to be sent at one place. I don't have to keep my integration code in my 50 applications, you know, all of them are talking to each other. So here we are going to have the centralized repository for the integration code and centralized work. But here is the trick, okay? So there are two or three ways of integrating applications. Number one is going to be if you are simply doing a pull, okay, from the application, easy, no problem, okay? If you are doing push, probably it's easy as well. But here is the trick. When it comes to, let's say, if your e-commerce application is going to be your source application, which is actually trying to push the transaction. And you are going to have a trigger based on, let's say, if you create a sales order in your e-commerce, that becomes the trigger. And now, somehow, you need to inform your iPass. So you have to keep some code for that trigger, or the application needs to trigger some sort of API. So you cannot keep everything inside iPass. It is still going to reside in these applications based on where the trigger is coming from, right? So would you agree with that? Would you, have you seen anything else? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Now, with with an i an iPass should should be able to manage that. Now, granted, depending upon the technology where the the source of the data is, um, then you're going to be you're going to be hamstrung in certain ways, right? If it's a if it's a custom application from the you know from the 70s on hierarchical databases, you're probably not going to do a direct connection. You're not going to attempt to do SQL statements against that, right? Um, so, so that may be a case where, and in fact, we've we've actually integrated to a number of those types of systems, typically on a one way where where they're they're dropping out, as you mentioned earlier, dropping out a file to an FTP site, and and our integration platform is just is just reading periodically, it's read looking at that uh, at that FTP site, seeing if there's a new a new data entry there. Um, but uh, but to your point. And I think where you were going with this was was one way versus two way. And that you're right. I mean, the one way the pull is, is pretty easy. You know who the master is. You know, you're just pulling information over. Once the client asks for information going back, then, yeah. You, um, now, again, a, a good iPass should be able to handle that. It should be able to push it back too, assuming the source data is able to receive it in a, in a decent way. Right. And that's and that's where it gets tricky. Uh, and there's also, you know, issues in terms of liability, right? Like if we're actually pushing data back into the ERP, then we better make sure and get sign off from the client. They they want this data in this field, in that in, in that sort of uh, sequence. Now, it, it becomes a lot easier if it's a newer ERP or newer type of system and, and they've got an API or some sort of business objects for us to use. So so it goes in in a supported manner. That's that's the best approach.
Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for those uh, insights, Mark. So, Tom, I'm actually going to come to you. And, uh, you know, we are simply going to be digging further into this. A lot of people feel that if you have API, if you have iPaaS, you'll be able to handle everything. Okay, integrations typically don't work that way. Okay, if you are designing very complex integration, especially if you are looking for two-way sync and you have the manual touches and both of the systems, good luck with that integration okay you are going to have a lot of fun because at the end of the day even if you have ipass you still have to design your triggers you still have to design where the manual touches are coming from and what are the impacting overall from the data perspective that integration becomes very difficult so i am looking to hear your insight do you agree with or disagree with anything that has been said so far and what's been your experience overall with integration so um i agree with i think everything i've heard so far uh, so, you know, no, no difference of opinion on all of the points made so far. I, I would say that uh, it's, it's very, very difficult, Sam, in my opinion, to talk uh, in broad brush strokes effectively and intelligently about integration in this way uh, when it really does depend on so many things. The master-slave relationships, uh, uh, the state of the art of the applications themselves, you know, to one of the points that was being made a moment ago for an application that was not uh, state of the art and was not designed to easily send messages on its own into the, the iPass that we had at, at, at Varian uh, when I was there, uh, which was Boomi, and then pass that information on into the ERP, which was SAP. We ended up designing in Boomi a call every five minutes to the old application that struggled to trigger a message itself. Um, and essentially, it was near real time, um, but it was not a true real time trans transfer of data from that application that was source. It was a pull from the, the, the Boomi uh, middleware or iPass uh, and then a feed uh, of the data found into SAP. So again, there are so many factors and parameters around the applications, the nature of the data, the direction, is it bi-directional, unidirectional, all of those things, which can start the brain spinning. And if you're talking to an executive level about the need for an iPass, I personally would not try to engage in that level of uh, detail for the conversation. For me, the three or the, the things I would focus on are what I feel are the five key issues or challenges and, and opportunities uh, for an iPass and for integration. You know, why do you why do you need to do integration at all? You know, one is uh, productivity. You're trying to reduce workload, right? You're trying to automate um, in to some degree, and uh, rather than have people do the swivel chair between one application and another, for example, you can do integration. That could be point to point, that could be iPass, but, and, and it could be other forms as well, uh, somewhere between those. Um, but productivity, duplicate data entry, those, those are the kind of things that uh, represent the opportunity there. Improved accuracy, obviously you're trying to um, automate uh, in a way that will make it more consistent in terms of what data is passed from one system to another, right? Speed is another factor, cost, it was brought up early in passing is another factor and, and, and introducing iPass could cost you more or there could be so many advantages. It could end up net costing you less. If you are uh, avoiding errors, you may be avoiding disputes with customers, for example. If you are uh, uh, saving on labor, there may be uh, productivity uh, from that point of view in terms of cost savings. Um, there may be advantages to the automation that causes you to say, uh, you know, I was missing opportunities because it wasn't a real-time transfer of data before. It was asynchronous. And by accelerating the integration flow, uh, I can, you know, not lose opportunities maybe um, that, that I saw in the past occasionally. Um, so, uh, and, then, and then somebody mentioned, I think uh, Chris mentioned monitoring. Um, that is certainly a critical support capability that uh, you don't get with point-to-point -point typically. Um, it's very difficult to manage all those point-to-point -point, uh, interfaces or integrations when um, they start to multiply. Um, whereas that is part of the, the design of an iPass. You're running it through a central 
system um, and you can actually see if the interfaces are up, if they're running, uh, and, and, or, and, and what even the performance is and what the volumes are. And so you have an opportunity to really manage and monitor. So, and, and so once one looks at these five things, workload, accuracy, speed, cost, and support or monitoring, I think then you can say, which of these are most critical? Which of these are the biggest headaches and problems? And uh, what would I get if I go point to point on these five fronts versus iPass? And particularly um, when it comes to um, uh, point to point, you know, mo like monitoring and maintenance, if you have simple integrations, if you have a relatively small number of integrations, point to point may be fine. Introducing an iPass may be overkill and very costly and, and, and even introduce complexity. You know, that, that may be, uh, you know, more than you need. Um, but if you have a large IT system landscape, if you have many integrations, uh, you are on, you are, you are probably going to benefit a lot from an iPass. Also, you know, the quality of your own IT or business workforce. Can you actually build these integrations and maintain these integrations as they start to multiply? That is not uh, necessarily an easy thing. Um, not, not that it can't be done. Uh, many companies do uh, take on that challenge. But uh, again, it, having people who are capable of writing the code and then having a team that's going to spend time monitoring and managing and correcting all that code when you're using an iPass, typically you're, as you said, creating business rules. Uh, it's much more centralized. You're not trying to manage a uh, hundred different point-to-point -point integrations, and the ability for the team to do that, in, uh, in from a skill set point of view, is typically much easier. It's more of a low-code, no-code type of integration than full-blown development from you know that you do point-to-point -point typically. So there's there's a lot of things that I would say, you know, depend on the complexity of your environment, the types of integrations you're doing, the number of integrations you're doing um, and the team that you have. Uh, all of these factors to me drive you in one direction or another. Um, and uh, I would have that kind of conversation with the, the leaders uh, in the IT space, perhaps, or in even the business. You know, there, there are some areas where a iPass is almost so simple for people that you, you hear of citizen developers actually building the integrations, you know, business people, uh, you know, super analysts, perhaps, but still not IT specialists, not uh, people writing real code, um, being able to develop some of those integrations. Um, again, not always what I would recommend. But if you want to empower your users, just like with analytics that people talk about that a lot, there, there are opportunities uh, even for integrations. Um, so those are some of the conversations I want to have with leadership in a, in a company to say, do you really want or need an iPass? And let's look at the, the pros and cons. So the kind of executives that I talk to, to be honest, I have not been successful overall in terms of teaching them how to write user stories or test cases, which is far more important than writing the code. Code is an integration is probably going to be a stretch. So when I hear the conversation about, uh, you know, citizen developers, that's probably going to be a stretch. But, but going back to well, that, like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't really <laughs> recommend that, but it, some companies want to want to go that way. Yeah, exactly. So now going back to overall, um, the point about uh, the, the low code, no code, Obviously, every company is going to have that pitch. In your case, you have you had used me as part of your middleware. But if you actually talk to SAP, SAP is going to say, you know what? I have my own iPass. Okay, it's going to be low code, no code, powerful, no problem. I'm going to bundle as part of my license. Why are you not using? You go to Salesforce and you had Salesforce and you were asking, uh, they are going to say, you know, I'm going to sell you Mulesoft. And everybody's trying to sell something. So, you know, in, in your heart, you know that you had utilized Boomi for a reason, okay? But selling that obviously could be difficult. So why would you utilize something that is not going to be tied to a vendor? In this particular case, you could have utilized an integration tool, let's say from either SAP or Salesforce, but you utilized a different middleware in, in between. So why would you choose that? And why would you recommend that for any company that is going to be similar to you? 
Yeah, so I, and we, we can get into a whole debate about different I-passes, but um, they are different. So we did a bake-off, uh, I think, you know, when I was at Varian, we looked at Informatica, we looked at uh, Tibco, we looked at MuleSoft, we looked at Boomi, and maybe a couple of others. And we did a basic uh, proof of concept, or tried to, with all of them. You know, and in the case of Boomi, we got it working in 24 hours. It was the simplest and fastest to set up. Again, in our experience, and this was, you know, 10 years ago now. So I'm sure everything's changed and evolved. Uh, I don't know if that would be the case today, you know, or there would be a great difference with others. But I'm just giving you an example. Just speed of setup was one factor. Another factor for us was how much volume, how much data was being transferred. Uh, again, I don't want to say I'm an expert in all of these different I-passes, but uh, I know my team, when we looked at it and when they researched it and looked at Gartner reports and other things, you know, it came out that uh, Boomi was not the greatest at handling large volumes of data. You wouldn't have Walmart or somebody like that running Boomi. Uh, they just couldn't handle efficiently the volume. Again, this is old information, so I don't want to say it's current. But at the time we were making the decision, we were evaluating the, the state of the players at that time, right? And so from a varying point of view, we had low volumes of data. Our business was selling multi-million dollar machines in relatively small quantities, hundreds and maybe thousands, but not billions or millions, right? And so the number of sales orders, uh, et cetera, were, were pretty low. And what we wanted was something that was fast, easy, and adequately performant to our needs. Um, and so, again, there were other factors, cost and everything else as well. But I'm just making the point that the I-passes out there are different. They have different strengths and weaknesses. And so in addition to a generic conversation about why an I-pass versus point-to-point, -point, once you decide to go for an I-pass, you, you can also then evaluate which one is the right one for me based on other criteria. Okay, amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. Um, so, Abu, I'm actually going to come to you. And uh, uh, I don't know if you agree with any of the points that has been said so far, any disagreement, and what's your position overall from the point-to-point -point versus uh, IPAS? Sure. I mean, I can go into you know a little bit more on you know the difference and um, the evolution of uh, systems integration methodology, right? So, ultimately, it's not IPAS or point-to-point, -point, right? It's it's uh, at a business level, it's systems integration. So point to point was the original form of integration, right? So you'd write a code from one ERP point, for example, if you have an accounts payable solution and you have an ERP and you want to get customer data or like supplier data, you'd write API to get data from one from the ERP and pull it into your software. And you know, you can have multiple points, you can you can fetch the data ten different ways. The issue that came in was what if you now you have ten systems and you have to replace one system? Right. So when you have to replace one system, now it means you have to write all the integrations again. Mm -hmm. So in order to overcome that challenge, you know, the limitation of the point to point, they came up with the methodology called the enterprise service bus. Right. And that is really the first step uh, before we go into the IPAS. So what the, the enterprise service bus or, you know, the middleware, you know, also called the middleware, what it allowed you to do was separate out the talk system which are talking to each other, right? So you're only integrating with the enterprise service bus and then the enterprise service bus is integrating with the other software. So theoretically now, if you have to replace one of your systems, it does not matter what, what system it is talking to, right? So you're just integrating supply information, you're putting data into the enterprise system bus and that's all your software has to do. If it needs to pull or push the data, it interacts with the enterprise service bus. So there are lots of middlewares like BizTalk, you know, somebody talked about Tipco, uh, you know, tons out there. The difference at that point is you have to host these middlewares in your own servers, right? And then th that obviously is a challenge of its own. You have to host them, you have to buy a server fee, et cetera. If the server goes down, the typical issues related with, you know, managing your own server. What IPaaS did was now, you know, like your Microsoft server, or the Azure, it moved the middleware server from your own environment up into the cloud, right? So it gave you robustness, scalability. So for example, suddenly you have to integrate 10,000 transactions at one time instead of 10 transactions, right? So the load scalability becomes so much better suddenly. 
And now, you know, they're even going one step further is the microservices architecture, right? So even IPaaS, so what the microservices architecture is, you know, if you need customer, the web service is published or customer service, that's it, right? You just have to call the web service. So they're actually going back to a little bit of that point to point architecture. You know, you have, you're hearing about tools like Zapier, you have probably heard about Microsoft, uh, uh, Power, I forgot the full name. So, but what it allows you to do is the next level is we have to make it irrelevant. The integration should be irrelevant, right? So if you have two systems, all the integration should be published out there, right? And that's what a bit what Mike, the Dell, Boomi, and the MuleSoft they're trying to do is, if you have one system, let's say called Sage X3, and you want to integrate with X3, all the integration architecture is already published on the cloud, right? So you don't want to even spin up your own uh, IPaaS platform. So that's the fundamental, you know, from a from a historical perspective. You know, what's the difference between point-to-point IPaaS or, you know, previously known as the, you know, the middleware uh, platforms. If you want, you know, IPaaS, obviously the main advantage going with IPaaS is, you know, you do not have to worry about integration, rewriting the integration code. Uh, it allows you to handle the rules better. You know, so if you switch out one system, it's easier to put the other system in. Uh, you know, that's the fundamental uh, difference between, you know, point-to-point and other IPaaS software out there. Sorry, Mark, go ahead. You have a comment? Yeah. Yeah, I had a question for Arbu, actually. I think you made a, a great point. Can Can you help me understand a little more, though, what you mean by uh, when you say publish? Uh, are you saying publish the technical specifications so someone could, uh, so folks could use it and, you know, write APIs or write integrations with it? Or do you mean yeah. publish where where truly the they're, they're active and, and kind of ready to sync with some? They're active and ready to sync. So, for example, you have your application and you want to extract supplier data from SAP. You know, there are two ways. You know, you buy an IPaaS platform, you get a subscription, then you write code, you know, you write all the rules, et cetera, and then you try to integrate. The other option is everything is published out there and you're just using integration as a service, right? I need customer service data from SAP. I can just publish it to that platform and I don't have to worry about any integration, right? So I'm just worrying about my product to that platform. And that's where, you know, the system integration world is trying to go with all these IPaaS platforms. So that's the, you know, the next frontier. So you would you would subscribe to that? So, I mean, yeah. obviously, there'd be some sort of cost. You'd subscribe, yeah. subscribe to that yeah. service and then it would, it would kick yeah. in. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Just to be clear. So basically, Abu, what you are trying to say is, uh, you know, these are the connectors uh, and they might be sold on some of these marketplaces. And you are simply trying to subscribe to a pre-built either connector or pre-baked integration. So you are simply worrying about the the paying of the subscription, the integration is already done as opposed to integrating it yourself because when you are going to be integrating it yourself, obviously there's a significant cost associated with that depending upon yeah. how thick your integration is going to be. Uh, yeah. If you're simply getting a bunch of data, analyzing it, you know that's very inexpensive. But when you are doing very complex two-way integration, uh, yeah. not through FTP, FTP is easy. <laughs> I mean, FTP, you know, it's not necessarily easy. I mean, FTP is just a way to where you're dumping data and the other software is picking up data. So, for example, even in FTP, you have two systems and your supplier code is different from the supplier code in the other system. Before that supplier code can be ingested into the other system, you have to translate, right? So the FTP is just is a place where you're putting up the data. It's not necessarily helping you translate, transform, and apply all the business rules, right? So, and you know, those plots, so the next frontier, you know, I'm talking about the microservice it is, what it's doing is standardizing the data, right? So for example, you have supplier data and you are supplier in the oil and gas industry. These are the 140 fields that you must capture for supplier, right? So it's called PIDEX information, for example. And that's what, you know, these, these new microservices architecture is doing so that it just makes it irrelevant you know, whatever the architecture is on the other side. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Abu, for that. So, Chris, I'm actually going to come to you. And the question is going to be overall about the FET. And one of the, uh, you know, comments that Tom had mentioned overall about the complexity, at what stage you may be okay with pointing, at what stage you probably need an IPAS. So, where is it going to be a FET? So, let's say if I am the business owner, when should I be thinking about whether I should get IPAS or not? And I'm going back to Abu's comment where, he mentioned that, you know what, uh, you know, if you're going to be replacing one of the applications, then you have to worry about the integration. So at what time I'm going to be ready for IPaaS versus doing point-to-point? Absolutely. It's a great question. And uh, 
you know, as you, as you look at on, in my example, Mark, you're correct. It was external. I mean, you're right. System to system. But in the system to system, you know, in, and I'm a TIPCO partner forever, but they're now moving the on-prem TIPCO, obsoleting it. You got to move up to their iPaaS platform. So it's interesting. But even in the on-premise world, the TIPCO product is the middleware. And Tom, and you guys all made it right. It centralizes all the code. It creates great sustainability and has a better TCO, total cost of ownership, than moving that. So whether it's an on-premise type of middleware or it's moved up into the cloud, I think that the evolution is they're all going to be moved up to the cloud. Can you still get an on-premise version? I guess it really depends on if the vendors can support it. There's other products out there. But, you know, to that point, I'm still a big proponent of that. I've inherited, I won't go into the details, but, you know, like a, a, a Shopify integration that had local SQL code and SSIS as an integration technique. And it's and it's too primitive and it's unsustainable. And again, then the guy who did it left and now everybody's like, how do we maintain it? So, you know, the risk that owners have, and this is direct to you, is the risk you know, sustainability is a big deal. Having control over your code, knowing that it's maintainable by somebody other than the guy in your building that's creating the fiefdom. So yes, this is this is bigger strategy as you look at the benefits of a tool. And again, if you've got a couple of points, okay, that's not big. But if you've got complex environment and you're a large organization, make make the real decision. And strategically, I think that's part of it. And again, even even in the world of I've done an SAP to FNO integration, we still had a middleware, right? SAP had their iPass, FNO had theirs, but they're still touching the middle. They're still handing things off. So again, it, it's still a cloud-based architecture. So again, I'm still a big proponent of that. So if I'm coaching an executive, I don't get into the musha of the details, but we're still looking at a tool versus a code-based, you know, endpoint integration, frankly. We just feel it's more sustainable and it's a better value longer term for the owners. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So Mark, I'm actually going to come to you overall in terms of fit. Uh, you know, what would you say to that? You know, where does that fit? Where would you do point-to-point -point versus where are you going to do iPads? Yeah, I think um, it, you know it, it's already been said, and that is you, you have to you have to do a bit of a cost benefit analysis, right, and see and and weigh that against uh, the resources you have internally. That makes a big difference too. You know how how much you need to rely on uh, either the iPass provider or maybe a, a channel partner for your systems to write the point to point, and and how how are they going to do that? Um, uh, and and of course you have to take security into into consideration these days in a big way too, especially in terms of whatever is in the cloud. Ostensibly, you think a you know a decent iPass is going to be secure, whether it's an Azure, or AWS, or whatever whatever cloud. It's it's pretty well locked down from a security standpoint. Um, then you get into point to points, and are you going you know uh, if it's if it is going through the cloud or however it's going out of your facility. You know, is that break in your firewall secure, right? So um, that's a that's that's a big consideration as well that that I would look into. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Mark, for that. So, Tom, I'm actually going to come to you. So, obviously, you know, this is your question, and this is going to be about the fit. Okay, when do you think businesses are going to be ready for the middleware or iPaaS? Let's say if they have just a couple of applications. When would you recommend that they should be using a middleware? So, other than for very small business operations, mom and pop shops. I think I would echo what, what I heard Chris say, which is day one. If you expect to be a growing, fast scaling business, I would try to start pretty early with some sort of integration platform like an iPass. Having to start over two years from the beginning and rebuild and design and define those rules, it, it to me is a whole lot of work, a big new project, um, lots of risk uh, and you know potential downtime. If you were building it from the beginning or near the beginning, you would be much better off. So I, I'm a big supporter, but I also agree with Mark that um, you can model this. Again, and you can you can say, what do I have today in terms of integrations and complexity of integrations? Um, and uh, what do I expect? Again, if, if you in the IT world are, are thinking about what you've been building, you can probably make a crude projection of what you will continue to build and what you will need to maintain. And you can come up with a, you know, some rough estimate of the resources required um, and uh, actually do that, that cost benefit 
um, or at least the cost side, the cost comparison. Do I want to do this in-house, continue to do point to point? You know, at what point do I actually hit a break even based on these iPass uh, subscription charges that I could take on? And if it's, you know, two or three years down the road that I'm going to start to see a landscape that's so complex with so many integrations and so much maintenance uh, that, you know, I'm reaching I'm reaching a break even, then it's pretty clear to me that you're also mitigating risk that you haven't even tried to quantify in that analysis um, in terms of just being able to monitor things, being able to recognize issues, respond quickly, repair breaks, um, and do that efficiently. Um, I mean, all, all of the other maybe more difficult to quantify elements uh, would, would tip the scale in my mind uh, once you say I, it, it's, it's only a couple of years down the road where this is going to make even financial sense. Um, so I might as well start pretty early on. Okay, very interesting. Okay, go ahead, Mark, please. Yeah, I, I just want to reiterate some Tom's saying here, and, and that is um, I think the perception uh, in a lot of folks' mind is, uh, you know, and, and it's true to a lot, you know, it's we're, we're unique, right? So so I think the thinking um, tends to point-to-point integration because it's more custom and, you know, we have we have all these unique ways we do things and that sort of thing. And it's true. I mean, um, we we when we integrate to we'll integrate to you know two different manufacturers that are that are building the same th- type of thing, right? There's the same type of and and have the same ERP, but their mappings are completely different simply by the way they they implemented the ERP. You know that one uses this field for that, the other uses the same field for something completely different. You know, I'm exaggerating, but that's it's often the case in in several areas. So folks tend to think, oh, I need, I, I need, you know, and, and they realize too that there's some uniquenesses about what they do, how they operate, and they so they want that point to point. But but point being, it, in an I that the I pass is going to be flexible enough to, you know, regardless of of what database it's hitting, to do those mappings, do the transformations to be able to support whatever uniquenesses you have. And I, I think that that point is lost on on a lot of folks. Okay, amazing insights there. Tom, uh, are you going to have any follow-up comments? I agree, Mark. Okay, perfect. So I am going to have follow-up question for you, Tom, then. Uh, you know, and the follow-up question is going to be a little bit related to overall this cloud sentiment. And I think we have had this discussion before as well. Cloud in general gets very expensive. Now, when we look at iPaaS, uh, the assumption is going to be that this is going to be hosted in the cloud. So if you were in the on-prem world and Chris, he utilized Tipco for free, you know, use as many queues as you like. Nobody charges you anything. You know, you are deploying on a server. You are probably going to be, oops. But now in the cloud world, they are doing nickel and dime for everything, okay? So for example, I am going back to my example. If you are doing FTP, no problem. Even though it is going to be complex, uh, you know, as uh, Abu pointed out, but when you are doing two-way integration, when you have to do the decoupling, when one system is going to be faster than the other, that's where the challenge is the real challenge with respect to integration. And then when you have to use queues, now you are going for Amazon SQL. And they are going to charge per message. Now look at the business that is not going to be as mature overall from IT perspective. So I hire an intern and they are going to write my integration code and they are going to be writing a code and that is going to touch my queue million times. Let's say I have the infinite loop. And because of that, I am going to get a million dollar bill from my Amazon just because Amazon is actually charging for touches. So now in the cloud world, the challenges are very, very, very different. So what would you say to a business who has no experience with integration or IT for that matter? And what all to watch for when you are doing these integrations? Well, again, that cost analysis would be part of the model that I think Mark was suggesting one do on a cost benefit analysis and I was suggesting as well. I think all of us would probably agree. Um, you need to understand the model, the financial model, uh, in order to make a decision here. Uh, and I'm not talking about the your company's financial model. I'm talking about the vendor's model. Uh, how do they charge you and how much do they charge you? Um, now, uh, I would add that there are some vendors maybe where you can't negotiate very effectively uh, discounts and price breaks and the T's and C's. Um, But 
certainly with most of the iPass vendors, uh, I think you can you can negotiate these things. Um, so uh, I, I, again, I I wouldn't take it at face value that you're going to pay a fortune because you do so many transactions. Um, I would say that that's something that you need to look into and negotiate and, and hopefully uh, get a, a, a deal that makes sense for your company. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. Uh, Abu, I'm actually going to come to you. So in terms of the fit, when would you recommend uh, you know, iPass versus point-to-point? And I don't know, uh, you know if you... Uh, or comfortable with the scenario that I am describing where you don't really have very mature IT organization and you don't really understand how this can fire back if you don't have experience writing integration code and, you know, each of the touches are going to be financially driven. Uh, it could really fire back in my experience if you don't have experience yeah. doing that. So when would you recommend this to a business? Um, I mean, so at the end of the day, it depends on complexity, right? Um, so... I mean, if you have a very one small integration and you're going to use it once a month, twice a month, maybe point to point will, is going to work. If you're going to have 50 different systems, 50 different integration points, then point to point is not going to be effective, right? And then it's going to become costly uh, very quickly. Um, I mean, the advantages, you know, you talked about IPaaS and, you know, you have things like Azure Functions, for example, which charge by the message. And, you know, I remember we did this integration tool that we developed and we spend time analyzing, you know, how many messages do we need to send, really send, right? Do we really need it in runtime um, because they charge by the message? But the advantage over that is another advantage though, right? So if you do not send any message, it's free, right? So if you have your own middleware, if you have your own server and you're hosting it, you're still paying for the server, you still bought the license, you still need an IT technician to maintain the server, it adds up, right? So it really, at the end of the day, it depends on the volume, the fluctuation in the volume, um, you know, the complexity, the number of integrations um, that you need, you know, I think anything more than three or four point-to-point -point integrations, complexity, IPaaS platforms, uh, you know, they'll start to pay dividends uh, compared to, uh, you know, developing your own point-to-point -point would be my opinion. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I don't know if anybody is going to have any follow-up comments, so we can take some follow-up comments because we have some time. Uh, I was just going to actually add, Sam, I thought Abu mentioned something very interesting that I know my team on occasion looked into and actually did, which was trying to bundle uh, some of the uh, data uh, in a way that would reduce the number of messages being sent. Um, so it wasn't a pure real-time interface or integration at that point. If you're you're collecting, um, but um, you know if it's if it's uh, every five minutes, every ten minutes, every hour. Um, you know, you can you can define or define or design the integrations in ways that could help you manage cost uh, if if time and a true synchronous process uh, isn't necessary. So there are there are ways in your design that you can actually also reduce or manage cost. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. So I guess we didn't talk a lot about licensing on integration tools. So that's that's where you're going. And they're not all transactional based. I mean, maybe the EDI. Van is based on transactions, but and Tipco was never free on premise, Sam. So don't get me in trouble here. But uh, the, the 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 premise on most of these tools, especially I can speak for Tipco, is connections. How many connections do you need? And and then threads. And so that thread speaks to concurrency, right? So that's the the performance engine and how many different connection points you need, whether they're sources or destinations. So so I know that's the Tipco model. But again, you start with two, to go to five, to go to unlimited. But that's that's how they scale that solution based on performance and based on how many different sources you need to interact with. I don't know, um, Abu, if you guys have any feedback on any of the other ETL platforms out, but that's a consideration. So, and it's yeah, not I mean, and the overhead to get started isn't bad. But if you've got tons of different source systems, yeah, it, it can add up for sure. So I am okay with just with the connector and the threads. The challenge with the newer tools that you are going to see in the market, they are charging based on recipe, and recipe is just one workflow. And they are also charging, there are too many variables, okay? So it becomes very complex in estimating the cost. And they are charging based on number of touches on the queues. So anytime in your typical world, I mean, you had queues, but you didn't have to pay for this. The only thing you were paying for is going to be based on the performance. When your system is going to be slower, at that time, you need to probably in increase the number of threads. Uh, or if you are going to bring another system, which is going to have another connector, which is a reasonable model. But let's say if you have 
five queues in your architecture and you are utilizing them for your synchronous architecture now anytime the queue is being being touched now amazon is charging for that yeah, <laughs> but i think I, sam you also have to keep in mind that you know for example with tipco if you have an on prem tipco you need a tipco support person dedicated just to maintain it right just to keep the server up and running just to monitoring all the queues and everything right so all of that cost has now been taken away and you know in one month you do not have that many touch points you're paying nothing right so so that's also an advantage right so you're paying in both ways they're both expensive <laughs> right yeah. you're just paying it in a different method right i mean it's easier to spin up right so we did this project with azure functions right we don't have to no server setup required nothing right we just have to start using it right if you have an on prem like bizstock or you know you have to set up the server you have to install it then you have to configure it then you have to buy the adapters then you have to configure the adapters then you have to define you know what kind of frameworks you want to use so it gets you know six weeks before you can even start using it right so compared to these cloud versions we can start using in two days so yeah completely agree any other comments guys otherwise we can the, uh, okay go ahead mark please yeah no i was, I was just going to say and and i think to your point uh, a, a bit earlier sam was uh you know while the while the ipass may have fees you have to be aware if the ipass is talking to an api exactly. that api may have fees too right, right. So you got right. to be aware of that uh, and the the other thing just to add uh to to what abu was saying again and uh i i said it earlier but but is security right um i'm acutely aware of this because we just we just went through the process of becoming iso 27001 certified you know so uh the whole systems and security and and so it's uh it's a lot, and but it but what it covers and and what what folks uh, any company needs to be cognizant of today, right, is is the cost of of uh, maintaining those internal security systems is is huge, and and if your if your software suppliers aren't doing that, you know, for you and with you, then uh, then somebody internally is having to manage it with CMMC and other and ISO in general. It's a uh, it's a huge undertaking, a lot of internal resources. Okay, amazing guys. So the only thing we can take right now is going to be closing advice. We have roughly three minutes. Chris, uh, what is going to be your closing advice? Sure. And so we're doing CMMC level one. So it's good for people to learn. Um, and I think as you do integration planning, and that's where I come back to you. So I'm the guy that likes to draw lots of pictures. And so as you think about swim lanes and inflows and outflows, so create an integration diagram, start primitive, but but draw it out and your different systems and, and your expectations or assumptions, and then try to fill in some details on workload, you know, volumes, you know, frequencies, whether you need it trigger-based, whether you need it to run once a day. And, and and as you get that analysis and you look at the different workloads, it'll help you maybe make some decisions on the choose to select. And and again, do the future version too, because don't get in a tool that'll surprise you when you try to add connections, like, oh my God, the price goes through the roof. Because to Sam's point, you can't quit, start over. It has, or Tom's point, so much cost. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Mark, what would be your closing advice, please? Yeah, the cost-benefit analysis. And Chris kind of took my last, that point on his last point, and that is, Put put yourself out in the future, and I think it was Abu who said, you know, what if what if you change up your ERP and you've got ten integrations there? What how much is that going to cost if they're all point to point versus in an iPass? Love it. Thanks so much, Mark. Tom, what would be your closing advice, please? My closing advice would be: assume you need an iPass. Do the cost benefit, but you need an iPass, and really the challenge is which one, and that has performance yep. features. And cost implications, and you know, if you if you can uh, work with a a uh, procurement negotiation specialist to get the best possible deal, but I would I would tend to assume you're you're going to need it if you're a decent sized business and growing, you're going to need an iPass, or you're better off with an. Okay, love it. Thank you so much, uh, Tom. Uh, Abu, what is going to be your closing advice? Um, I'll just agree with what everyone has said. So I like for the same. Thank you so much. So that's it for today, guys. Uh, if you joined for the first time, this was part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation and we always have an expert panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to be here with another topic. On that note, thanks everyone for your time and insights. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Thanks all. Sam. Bye, guys. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's T-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about Mark Lilly, 
head over to lilyworks.com. It's L-I-L-L-Y-W-O-R-K-S.com. If you want to learn more about Tom Rodden, follow and connect with him on LinkedIn. If you want to learn more about Abu Asif, head over to pennymanagement.com. It's P-A-N-N-I-M-A-N-A-G-E-M-E-N-T.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Ingo Hagerman, who shares his insights into the integration challenges of ERP and e-commerce software. Also, the interview with Michael Vox, who shares his insights on the marketplace business model and the challenges associated with launching it. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.